All right, how's everybody doing? Is that better? Can you hear me now? Awesome. Um, somebody stole my chair, man. Somebody stole my stool. Does anybody see it? Anybody see my stool anywhere? My stool? Do what? It's in the closet. All right. <clears throat> um, hey, take your Bibles and turn to John cha- or uh, sorry, to Luke chapter seven, real quick. Luke chapter seven. While you turn there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever have you ever had an experience where you got to meet a celebrity? This is a uh, part we, we we want a little feedback from you. Has anybody had an experience where you got to meet somebody? Uh, where you got to meet somebody that you that you um, a celebrity, somebody that you looked up to, uh, and and got a chance to spend like maybe you want some backstage passes, maybe you got a chance to spend some extensive time with somebody. Uh, I want to hear I want to hear your story real quick. Does anybody have anybody had a chance to meet a celebrity, somebody that you really looked up to? Uh, all right, go ahead. Got to meet Toby Mac. Really? Are you a big Toby Mac fan? You you used to be. <laughs> Not anymore. Hey, tell tell me why. Tell me real, real quick. Why is that? Why why do you say it used to be? Did meeting him change your perspective about him? No. Is he a genuine guy? Is he a genuine dude? Did he love Jesus? Think so. All right. Go ahead, Bryson. Met Whoopi Goldberg. Were you a big Whoopi Goldberg fan? Is she in Sister Act? Is that right? Is that hers? Sister Act. Is that your movie? Is that your favorite movie? <laughs> Did you get to spend time with her? No? You just like saw her in the airport or something? She what? She gave you a hug? Okay. All right. Who else? Anybody else? Yeah. Brandon Pliniak? But you're a big fan, right? I don't know. Something. P something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can't put that many vowels together in the English language. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so you got to, you got a chance to meet him. Great. Was he a good guy? Was he? Good. Anybody else? Yeah. John Smoltz, just last week, right? Yeah. How was that? Tell us about that. Was it cool? Good guy. Really? You were you a Smoltz fan? Like, were you a? Like, did you grow up watching Smoltz and Glavin and uh, who's the other one? Smoltz. Maddox. Yeah. Born? <laughs> For real? When were you born? Uh, that's when they won the, uh, all right, you were born, but. Do what? Oh, really? I thought it was 97. Well, there you go. Shows how much I know. They lost in 97, runner up. Okay. <clears throat> all right, so good guy. All right, in the back. Did you really? There you go. He's a legit guy, right? Pretty much the same guy on and off the field. Anybody else? Yeah, Manning. Terry Francona, was he the manager, where was he, what was he doing when you met him? Was he? Did you get to spend time with him? Yeah? Yeah. Well, hey, here's the deal. Sometimes, and over the course of your life, you're going to have opportunities, almost every one of you, you'll have an opportunity at some point to meet somebody who you've always either looked up to and admired, uh, or maybe you'll have an opportunity to somebody that you didn't think very highly of. And oftentimes, meeting people and getting to spend time with them uh, changes or confirms or solidifies our, uh, our perceptions of them. Uh, when I was in college, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was an undergrad student in 2004, in, uh, in October of 2004, late October 2004. And uh, I got a, a message that 
the president of the school, um, I was supposed to come to the president's office, and um, which is typically like, you know, uh, you wouldn't think would be one of those messages that you'd really want to get. It's kind of like being summoned to the principal's office on a much larger scale because you like you see your principals interact with them and like big school, five thousand people. You don't really necessarily like, we're like we don't hang out. We're not like friends, you know. Um, so. So I went and I uh, met with this guy named Tommy Hellams, who is the chief of staff to uh, the president of the school. His name's Albert Moore. And uh, um, he's uh, on CNN, like, all the time. He writes articles, um, you know, all the time, like Washington Post, New York Times, pick him up, um, The Atlantic, and all these real big, like, publications and stuff. It's kind of a big deal in, like, dorky, conservative, evangelical, like, Bible college world, right? So, like, you guys don't know who he is, and, but that, that's okay. Uh, but to me, he's a big deal. And so I'm, I'm in the guy's office, or in, like, his outer office with his chief of staff, uh, and I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't know why I'm here. You know, I'm, like, just, like going back through all, like, the things, like, the, the dumb stuff that you do in dorms, like BB gun fights and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, why is it just me and not all these other guys? So I'm there, and uh, he says, hey, uh, I got a question for you. We... Um, Dr. Moeller at that time was in a national, a nationally syndicated radio show, went all over the uh, U.S., um, and he said, Dr. Moeller has a series of events, a series of speaking engagements and, and events that he's supposed to be at over the next 10 or 11 days, and um, they're so crazy and so scrammed together that between the events and when he has to do is, is a live radio show on 4 o'clock every day, an hour-long radio show at 4 o'clock Eastern. So between, um, between all the speaking engagements and the radio show, there's no way for him to ordinarily he'd fly between these places, but he's going to have to drive. He's going to be on the road for like 11 days. And um, as you can imagine, he's a very busy guy. And so, um, so uh, if you'd like to, we would like for you to drive him to all of these different uh, places and accompany him to all these different places. And we were going to be um, we went everywhere. We actually came to Chattanooga. It's the first time I'd ever been to Chattanooga. We drove from, uh, from, <coughs> drove from Louisville to Nashville. Uh, to Chattanooga, back to Nashville, uh, to to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, to Atlanta, back to Nashville, uh, and we stayed different times in different series of places all along the way, um, and and uh, it was a really incredible time. <clears throat> and uh, he was somebody that I looked up to a lot, but obviously I didn't know him. He's the president of the school. He speaks on CNN. I mean, he's on Fox News and Handy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I didn't really know him. <clears throat> I didn't really know him. But you get to know somebody, you know, you're with them, like, literally, like, 18, 19, 20 hours a day. We were there. And uh, and so I was driving him to all these different places. I went to these places. He was on uh, TBN with this guy named Jay Seculo, And I'm, like, with all their, like, handler staff guys. And I got to meet, like, uh, Martin Luther King's daughter. And all, like, some really cool stuff. Went to the inauguration of a seminary president. Uh, and, and just some really, 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 really cool stuff. He's, he's on the board at Focus on the Family. I got to meet all those guys. And. Really, really cool stuff. But I was with him for 11 days, like 18, 20 hours a day. We're driving in the car. I mean, we're eating meals together. Um, you know, I hear him talking to his wife, talking to his kids. Uh, it was <clears throat> the end of the trip. There was about two weeks left until the presidential election with um, George Bush and John Kerry, the, the sec- Bush's second election. Um, and <clears throat> uh, he said, hey, I'm going to need you to, uh, he said, when we left, he had told me, Hey, at certain points of the trip, you're just going to have to hear things but not really hear them. You can't really remember them. I can't, you know, like there's no like second, I can't go into a back room. I'm not going to crawl in the back of the car. So uh, he said, I want to have some phone conversations about things at the school or maybe some other things. And um, you're just going to have to not hear some things. 
It's like, okay, that's fine. I don't really know what he's talking about. But um, he gets a phone call, and he goes, hey, this is one of those calls you're just going to have to not hear. And I said, well, okay. You know, so I'm just just driving. I remember it like it was yesterday, um, driving from Chattanooga to, to Nashville. And um, he said, we don't have time to stop. And I was like, he says, hey, Carl, how's it going? And they start talking, and, and, uh, and he said, now listen, Carl, I'm not going to tell you what he said, but he starts getting very animated and upset. Uh, and I was like, who is he talking to like this? Like, you don't just talk to people like this. He was talking to him, Carl Rove, who is the chairman of the campaign to reelect George Bush, the chief top political advisor of Bush. He's an office in the White House at the time. Um, he was talking to Carl Rove about George Bush's um, reelection and some things that, that President Bush at the time had said um, and there's another opportunity where he was on a conference call with um, with Carl Rove and the chief of staff of the White House. Um, they're talking about election strategy and electoral math while we're um, on the road from Atlanta to Nashville. Okay, so this is a, so like for me, right? Like I'm just like a like a junior in college, like trying to figure out what am I doing here? And this is like awesome, and I'm going to write a book, but it told me I couldn't talk about it. It's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing. But <clears throat> I tell you all that to say. That I had admired from a long for, for a long time from a distance. I admired Al Mohler and Dr. Moore for what he what he what he stood for and just a brilliant mind. Um, I saw him read 17 books from Raleigh, North Carolina to Atlanta, and then write dictate 2,000 words, a 2,000 word essay, and quote from those books verbatim without looking at them, all in from the drive from Raleigh to Atlanta. Okay, the guy's a genius. He's brilliant, uh, <clears throat> and obviously none of it like rubbed off. But uh, but I get to observe him for a long time and admire him for a long time. But, man, when you get to spend, like, 11 days with somebody like that, it really changes or it confirms how you see him and how you view him. And I'm telling you right now, man, I would go to the gate with that guy um, any day of the week because I saw how he loves his family, so much he loves the church, how much he loves Jesus, how he talks to people in hotels and restaurants and, and um, how he treated like a just a – simple, um, uneducated college student and, uh, and just how much weight he gave conversations that he and I had. And, and I'm forever indebted to him for, for the opportunity to spend that much time with him. And I get to do it on several other occasions. Uh, it just further confirms how um, this guy really loves Jesus and how genuine he is. Um, there's a difference. We, start, we introduced this concept last week. There's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower. And we're in this week to this, this series called, um, called Not a Fan. <clears throat> and, uh, and that's the whole, the whole um, kind of the whole summary of the whole series, is that we want to develop people, uh, and we believe the Bible calls us to be people who are uh, followers, not fans. Followers, not fans. And so we've, we've got a whole bunch of these wristbands, and we've got some more. If you didn't get one last week, if you weren't here, you can get one from us tonight. Chance for you to order T-shirts and, and books and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as well, if you want to get one. But I want to jump in and look at an opportunity, a chance, uh, a similar encounter in Luke chapter 7, where a woman uh, and a religious uh, elite, somebody, a religious, edu- religiously educated guy, a member of the social uh, and the religious establishment, have two, uh, enc- have two different encounters about Jesus at the very same time. Okay, at the very same time, and how, how, how the, the difference between being a fan of somebody and being a follower uh, all in one, uh, in one really kind of embarrassing, uh, embarrassing moment uh, at a guy's house. Okay, so we're looking at Luke chapter 7, and pick it up in verse 36. 
right, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you didn't bring your Bible, man, I really encourage you to bring your Bible every week. Uh, we do put it on the screens, but don't rely on the screens. Uh, I encourage you to bring your Bible, bring something to write with, something to write on every time you come through the doors. <clears throat> verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, talking about Jesus, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he, that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. It's probably a better translation is like perfume. Okay, it wasn't like a, it was, it was a, it's a liquid, so it's a, like a perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, to himself, not out loud, but to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of this woman, what, what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Again, remember, he had said it to himself, not out loud. Jesus says to him, I have something to say to you. Verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which, <clears throat> now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered her house, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet, uh, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from that time I came in, and she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What's happening here? What's, what's going on in this story? Let me break it down for you a little bit. Jesus had been teaching uh, all day. He's at, the, he's, at the very, he's at the end of a long day uh, in which he had kind of affirmed and confirmed many things about himself, his teaching, who he was, uh, and he was being criticized and questioned uh, repeatedly, constantly. He was under scrutiny and under attack. Uh, but as was customary of the day, as he'd been teaching all day, he was invited back to the home of one of the local religious leaders, this guy named Simon. We learned his name Simon. It's a fairly common name uh, in first century, uh, in, first, in the Middle East in the first century. And so Simon uh, invites Jesus to come to his home, uh, and around the table are the religious establishment, the religious elite of the day, okay? These are Pharisees, uh, these are uh, potentially some Sadducees, these are some people who are, who are members of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the Jewish uh, ruling council. These are, are uh, this is a big deal, okay? This is like kind of like a, a religious state dinner, so to speak. Uh, and so it was a nice affair. Uh, there's a nice table that's laid out. They didn't eat at t tables and chairs like you and I do today. They, let, they ate in a more kind of Roman style. Uh, they would, what they would do is they'd put their left elbow or their left arm kind of under a cushion or some kind of pillow. Uh, and, and they would kind of lean towards the table with their feet out. And everybody kind of uh, leaned around and just kind of laid on their left side and, and ate and talked uh, about the issues of the day. Now, with a big meal like this, a big important meal, um, they would, excuse me, uh, this would be in a big, uh, some, a big house or probably even in a courtyard. 
uh, and people would come to watch the meal uh, and listen to the conversation because the conversation would kind of continue from the day. Uh, so if this, this teacher, this rabbi would come, uh, in this case Jesus would come, uh, and they're going to kind of pick up the conversation of the day, uh, and, and people would be allowed to come. They wouldn't eat with them necessarily, but they would kind of watch around the outside. It's kind of a, um, really kind of a confusing, there's really no modern day really equivalent, uh, but they would kind of come and they'd watch them, and they'd stand around or sit around in a courtyard type setting and, and listen to the conversation um, of the night. So Jesus is there with Simon. Uh, and as you've already heard from the from the um, from the story, uh, things don't go as they naturally should have uh, for Jesus. He should have been and, and was the honored guest. He was the featured guy of the night. He was there. Um, he was there, uh, uh, and he was the guy that everybody wanted to hear and everybody wanted to see and everybody cared about. Um, and, and, and many of these people, Simon himself included, uh, were looking for ways, and they had been for some time. They were looking for ways to discredit the teaching ministry of Jesus. They were looking for ways to discredit who he was and who he claimed to be and the things that he had been saying and teaching uh, all along. And so they're around, and they've, they've invited him to come, but they've, they've uh, intentionally, uh, it seems, from Jesus' teaching and from Simon's response, they've intentionally kind of uh, left out some customary things. This is uh, basically like you being invited to dinner. And when you walk in, as you come to the doorbell and you're greeted by, you know, uh, uh, the person, the host, the hostess, or maybe a, a butler or something like that, uh, it, instead of like a warm handshake or a hug or a, hey, how's it going, slap you on the back, um, Jesus walks into a very, very, very cold room, a very cold room. Uh, <clears throat> first century, uh, everybody probably, these, these people all uh, wore some kind of sandal, some kind of, some kind of, some kind of shoe on their feet, and obviously not anything like what we have, some kind of sandal. It was very customary for the host, uh, the, the person hosting the party, to, to provide either uh, himself, either for Simon himself to do it, to wash his guest's feet, or to provide a servant who would, who would uh, provide, um, provide at least the water and the, and the things necessary to, to kind of clean your feet from the dust and the, and the mud and the manure uh, that, would be, that would have been accumulated on them from, from walking or, or riding a distance. Uh, to get to this place, and they'd been outside all day. Um, <clears throat> and so, as opposed to getting cleaned up at your house and then going to somebody's place for dinner, you would go to someplace, somebody's place for dinner, uh, and they would provide either someone or something to allow you to kind of clean up uh, for dinner. They maybe put some oil, uh, some, some rather inexpensive oil or something that smelled kind of, kind of good to kind of freshen up uh, for the day. <clears throat> You'd be greeted by some kind of, some form of kiss, either on your cheek or on your hand, uh, depending on how important you were. Uh, and, and this is just kind of the general customary, uh, what everybody receives, but Jesus receives none of it. He comes into a very, very, very uh, cold room. This doesn't surprise him, of course. He's Jesus. He knows everything. Uh, but it, but, but it's, very, uh, it's obvious it's very intentional. It's not an oversight on Simon's part uh, by any stretch of the imagination because, again, they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out how do we discredit this man and his teaching uh, and kind of stem the tide of the people who were overwhelmingly beginning to embrace what he was teaching, who he was, what he was all about. <clears throat> so we kind of talk about Simon. Simon's a religious leader. He's an elite. Obviously, you know Jesus. He's uh, one of the central characters. But there's this third person, this, this woman. Uh, the Bible says in the, in the English Standard Version that we read that her sins are many, uh, that she's somebody who's known uh, the, the word, the Greek uh, there, uh, uh, seems to indicate that she was most likely a known prostitute, right? 
Um, so she's somebody who is well-known in the community, but not, uh, not in a positive way. Okay? She carries a certain stigma, a certain reputation about her. Uh, and, and, and quite honestly, uh, traditionally, she would not be at this part of the dinner. She may arrive later with a group of her friends after um, some of the onlookers have left. But at this point of the night, um, it's not customary to see her, to see her here. But she came, uh, she came, it seems as, as though she comes because this was not her first encounter with Jesus. She had likely heard him speak or teach uh, or preach at some other time throughout the course of the day or the weekend, the time that he had been in this particular area. Uh, and she's coming specifically to see Jesus. She's coming because her life has already been changed and transformed by the gospel, by, by the teachings of Christ. She's coming uh, because she wants more of Jesus. She comes, and you can kind of picture the scene. They're all, all, they're all kind of, of uh, laying and reclining into this table, and they're eating food, and uh, it's kind of a cold reception. As I said, Jesus knows that he's, um, he's there, and he's been invited, but he's certainly not the honored guest of the evening. And if you look at it in the original language, it looks as if um, this woman is so overcome with emotion and so overcome with gratitude that she comes and she uh, probably kind of pushes her way to the front and comes to the feet of Jesus. And we don't know if she was crying before or if she just began crying when she sees him, but the tears are flowing from her face. And they fall on Jesus' feet and she notices or realizes that his feet have not been cleaned. And so she uses her tears to, to clean the feet of Jesus. Now, all women, even prostitutes at that time, when they were out in public, would wear their, Jewish women would wear their hair up. Wearing your hair down was um, something that was only to be, to be done uh, around your husband. <clears throat> and so her hair is up, as is all the other women in the room or, or in the courtyard area, but as the tears begin to fall and she cleans, begins to wipe the feet of Jesus, she doesn't have a towel, she's, she, she has nothing, she undoes, she, 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 she lets her hair fall around her neck and she begins to use her hair to wipe clean the feet of Jesus. It was customary at the time for, uh, for, for women to wear <clears throat> a small, small uh, jar or, or vial of, of perfume or oil, uh, scented oil around their necks. Uh, they would wear it typically under their clothing, uh, much as ladies as you would wear maybe a necklace. And, um, and she takes that out and she, um, she uses it on, on, uh, on Jesus, on the head of Jesus. She, she places it on him. She kisses his feet. She's honoring him. Simon in his heart, trying to confirm his own suspicions, asked the question, man, if this guy was for real, wouldn't he know who she is? Wouldn't he know who she's all about? If he was really a prophet, if he was just somebody really sent from God and claiming to be God as he is, wouldn't he know who she is and what she's all about? Now this is a guy who from the time that he was 12 years old, when he was 12 years old, he had memorized over half of the Old Testament. By the time he was 15 or 16 years old, he would have the entire 
Old Testament completely memorized. You could start speaking anywhere in the Old Testament. You could start in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 3, and you could just start saying it, and he would immediately pick up, know right where you are, and just say it uh, and sing it basically to you and chant it to you. You could do the same thing in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. He had it memorized literally backwards and forwards as a song and as a chant. He's a member of the religious establishment. He's, he's, he's guarded and charged with, with, with keeping and preserving the Jewish tradition uh, and leading the people to be watching and waiting and looking for the promised Messiah, for the promised one, for the one who's going to lead the people of Israel to full and complete salvation. If there's anybody around the table who should be, able to, should be able to identify the teachings of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he is really about, it's Simon and the guys around him. It's not the uneducated prostitute who spends all of her free time working corners in, in, in back alleys, uh, in, in, in upstairs bedrooms. It's not her, it's him. It's him and his buddies. But they are so consumed with preserving their own kingdom and their own power that they miss the one true living God, the, the, the king uh, of kings. They miss him. And he questions him in his heart, and Jesus asks him this one question. He paints this scenario for him. He says, imagine there's two guys, two debtors, and their debt is forgiven, one 500 and one 50. Who do you think, he says, is more great? And I believe it's in verse 43. Let's look at it together. I think it's verse 43. And he says, um, yeah, he says, verse 43, Simon answered, the one, I suppose. He's reached one of those points. Have you ever reached one of those points with your parents where they ask you a question and you know that you're condemned by the answer? Have you ever, you ever been in that situation? Some of you are like, yeah, it happened to me like the last weekend. <laughs> Mom and dad come in and say, hey, we want to ask you a question. Uh, do you know anything about this? Maybe it's something they found in your room. Maybe it's something they've seen on your phone. Maybe it's something they've seen, uh, a story they've heard from a, from a friend or from that secret network of parent uh, texting that happens, that somehow information that happens at school beats you home, and they already know about it when you get home uh, from, from the weekend or from the party or from, the, from school day or whatever. But they get, you get put in that place where mom and dad or a principal or a teacher says, hey, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you know anything about this? And your, and your answer condemns you? You know what I'm talking about? That's where Simon is. And in verse 43, he says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. See, he's a smart, educated guy. He knows exactly where Jesus is going. I mean, he knows right where Jesus is headed. He says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he says, you're right. He says, you're right. And then he says this. He indicts him. He says, you know, you, you brought me here and you didn't clean my feet, but she's never stopped kissing me from the time that I came in. You didn't provide me any oil, but she's anointed my head. You didn't, you didn't do any of the things that you were supposed to do, but here's this lowly, sinful prostitute of which, he says, her sins are many, answering his question. I know exactly who she is. 
I know exactly what she's done. I know exactly who she is. I know what she's all about. I am the one true living God. I am the son of man. I know exactly who she is. And I know that you've questioned me in your heart. He says, I know exactly who she is. And she's done all these things. But because her sins are forgiven. Okay, that's how we know that she's seen him before. She's heard the teachings of Jesus. She's coming out of gratitude. She's coming to learn more, to be, she's coming to be around Jesus. She just wants to be near Jesus. She wants to serve Jesus. Because she's experienced the forgiveness of sin, she loves much. Because she's experienced the the forgiveness that I have to offer, because she's experienced full and complete and total redemption, because she has been made new and been made clean and been made whole, because she has experienced redemption in its fullness, she now has the capacity to truly love. She can love much. And therein he lies, there lies a principle for us. That if you want to know Jesus, that those who know Jesus are those who experience his forgiveness. I'll say it again. If you're you're taking notes, this is something you want to write down. Those who know Jesus are those who have known forgiveness. If you are a follower of Jesus, by definition, you are someone who... For once, for a very first time, you've experienced forgiveness and salvation, and you've repented of your sin. You've, You've been justified and saved by the grace of God because of your faith in Jesus. But on a continual basis, on a continual basis, you experience the forgiveness and the grace of God. And and we're almost without fail, as I talk with teenagers, I talk with parents, with adults, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you want a barometer for your relationship with Christ, if you say, hey, I feel far from God, you know the first question I ask? When was the last time you confessed your sins to Jesus? When was the last time you felt just that overwhelming wave of forgiveness and grace and mercy? And chances are, if the answer is, is, is I, it's, I've been a long time, I feel distant from Jesus, I feel disconnected from Jesus, I know I'm a Christian, but, but I just feel, I feel separated from him. You know why? It's because you never spend any time with Jesus, and when you never spend time with Jesus, you never confess your sin. When you never confess your sin, you never driven to your knees to pray more and to worship God and to read your Bible. You never spend time with Jesus. You can't spend, you, you, can't, you can't confess sin uh, to, to a God who you never spend time with. And who you never enter a relationship. God will love you. God will pursue you. But you've got to at least take one step of faith towards him. And you've got to spend time with Jesus. But those who truly know Christ are those who have known forgiveness. And he says to her, he says to Simon, because her sins are forgiven, because she has loved much, her sins are forgiven. And then, to, to stake a final kind of claim in his divinity, I want you to look at what he says in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. This is, she's not experiencing salvation the first time. This is, this is um, it's very clear. She's already had an encounter with Jesus. She is already a believer. 
your sins are forgiven. And, and he says that to her publicly, says that to her publicly to elicit this response from them in verse 49. And then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Who does this guy think that he is? Who does this guy think that he is? And then to show them, to show them, uh, <clears throat> to, to, to show them uh, that, that her sins are forgiven, not because of her actions there tonight, that, that just loving him, just serving him, just wiping his feet, anointing him with oil, because they're in such a works-based mentality that, that you have to do this in order to inherit the kingdom and not do this. He tells her, he tells her in front of everyone, he tells her this, your faith has saved you. Not your demonstration of love, not your expression of your love for me, not your service to me, but your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Your love for me is an expression of an already changed heart. It's your faith that has saved you. And then he offers this promise. And to those of you who are, who are, are weary tonight, for those of you who are who are downtrodden, for those of you who know you're a believer, but you are overwhelmed with anxiety and with, with um, even with unconfessed sin, we're going to give you a chance here in just a second to confess that sin to God and be completely changed and forgiven tonight. But he offers this promise of peace. He says, now go in peace. For those in this room who walk with Jesus, who spend time with Jesus, who, who know him because they, they know and experience the forgiveness that is there for him, who acknowledge their sin before him on a daily and, and sometimes hourly and sometimes minute by minute basis. For those of us who know Jesus like that, we can attest to the peace and the grace of God and the rest that is available in knowing, truly knowing Jesus. Because we know forgiveness. I'm going to invite the band to come. They're going to come and lead us in one more song. I want to challenge you in two ways. There's several guests. There's several several of you tonight. This is your first time here. You've never been here before. I can't tell you how thrilled we are that you're here. We want to give you an opportunity tonight. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church. Uh, maybe this is the first time you've been in this church. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard uh, anybody talk about the Bible or Jesus or God like this before. We would love to just sit and talk with you about how you can experience for the very first time this grace and the sense of forgiveness and the sense of peace in your life. For several of you that are here tonight, you have a relationship with Jesus. You know that you're saved. You know that you're a believer. But you, it's been a long time since you felt like you really knew Jesus, and Jesus really knew you. 